there was a very famous sentence that was released, which is, when you don't pay for a product, you're the product. And I believe this is something that should be taught in school to everyone. Guided by over 25 years in the data and research industry and assisting innovators with investment banking and advisory services, Seema Vasa brings you Data Gurus, a leading market research podcast that offers actionable insights for business acceleration and value creation. Join her as she speaks with key innovators in the space to bring you up to speed with the current state and the future of data analytics and data ecosystems. This is Data Gurus. Tired of market research solutions that put your project in a box? At Paradigm Sample, we approach market research support with customized and consultative solutions. Whether you need help with questionnaire design, survey programming, or online data collection, we're ready to assist. Let us know your needs, and we can customize a solution just for you. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. I am so excited to welcome Francesco Guglielmino. I know I didn't say that right. Francesco, say it for me. Sorry. It's Francesco Guglielmino. And yes, this has been the toughest moment since I came to the US was when people were asking my family name. And it's so important. And I'm so sorry that I did not do justice to it. But you are the CEO of Cubic. Correct. And thank you for joining me today. I am fascinated by your company in the sense that you've been on such a journey from when you started as it related to location-based data with the backdrop of privacy regulation still in its infancy to where we are today. And your journey really has been to put privacy of consumers first, but also ensure that there's value being driven, delivered to clients. Is that a fair statement? Yes, privacy has been always at the front seat for us, as well as customer centricity. So trying to maximize the use cases unlocked by data for our customers. We were one of the craziest ones in our approach to privacy back in the days. To make it short, when GDPR came out, all our R&D people were in Milan in Italy. So they were all affected by GDPR. So we decided to take counterintuitive approach and essentially implement all the GDPR principle, even in the US when it wasn't really required. And we started playing with this constant in mind that we always have to play above the bar of privacy. We need to anticipate in the next law, the next thing. If we And if we are capable of retaining our business and the value we deliver by raising the bar, then we will have a brighter future ahead of us. Well, you all, you prevented a lot of pain, it sounds like, by ensuring that you were above the bar. Before we go into the privacy kind of framework that you've really enforced over the years, let's just talk a little bit about the history of the company, when it was founded, what pain point it initially served, and what pain point it serves today. So... Cubic was born under a, a different name. We were called Bean to, and like every startup tale, it started basically in a garage where were founders, I think it was 2011. This was right before my, me joining, you know, had an idea about kind of building, a, a leveraging technology and data to enhance the ability to deliver ads. And it was done in Milan, in Italy, back in the days. The company was born and quickly grew. Thanks to the ability of the initial group, when I joined at the beginning of 2013, the focus was essentially to leverage data 
to provide more customized advertising experiences. So think about the, the original version of location data application in Attic was proximity marketing, like delivering ads in one mile radius nearby the store or, or that kind of things, or delivering coupons when you were inside a store, those kind of engagement. And we were running that kind of business. And we soon understood that our note, what made us different back then was our ability to collect good location data and deploy them in a way where it was really enhancing the advertising experience. And it didn't take a while for us to understand it. We wanted to invest more on the data layer rather than on the media layer. That's basically was the beginning of Cubic that then was founded in 2016. Uh, with the sole focus of building a, a data layer with a focus on location data. Location data is tricky. It almost feels like transactional data. It's so granular, right? When you think about you or I traveling throughout the day and being able to collect data points that's a lot of data, right? In terms of yes. a person in a 24-hour period. Correct. So the best way we have to explain the type of data we collect is essentially think that when you leave your house, you leave breadcrumbs on the street. And if you give us the consent to do so, we will be the one collecting those breadcrumbs and sending information. But you know, you, you compare that to transaction data. I wish it was like transaction data. Because transaction data, no, because you know, with transaction data, every record is very important. Every record is a transaction, is an intent purchase. So every record is super valuable. With location, not every record is super valuable. So, for example, you know, when we started this journey, there was the race of the company was collecting more points about a user, more breadcrumbs about your journey. The reality is there is no need to collect 5,000 points per user per day. You just need to understand when it really mattered to collect the information. So what, what to us, that what idea was being always that where you spend time is where your interest lies. And we've been always focused on that particular point to the point that we develop an SDK with a, with a patent collection methodology, which is focusing on where people are spending time rather than all the breadcrumbs in between those uh, locations where people spend time. That makes a lot of crazy. sense. If we see where you're spending time and we can tie that information with a place, a gym, a grocery store, a bank, whatever, now we're building a geo-behavioral profile and we understand how a group of people in a certain area behave, what stores are visiting and how advertising is impacting their behavior and all that sort of things. Very cool. I'm just curious. You might or might not know the answer of this, but as a consumer... Do you know how like how many places somebody goes to on average in a day and spends time? We had in our system we say that we will expect to see at least six locations per day where people are spending time. This doesn't mean that we're talking not necessarily stores, but like places enough apart from each other. Thing is that after what happened in 2020, this has radically changed. It totally disrupted the whole thing. Yeah, because, you know, before what we were, you know, most of the analysis, you had to, everyone, every adult at the two main anchor location is all workplace. And for home and workplace, you had a number Other of little, yeah. Doing, right? Like yeah. there was a specific grocery store that you go when you get out of work, or there is a specific lunch place when you're at work. Now that most people are hybrid, you don't go to the same lunch place that you will go if you were working there. So habits have shifted a lot. Well, as what is interesting with mobility data is also seeing how 
you know, the people that have been moving across the U.S. a lot. We're, we're experiencing a massive shift in people behavior. And in fact, to me, it will be really interesting to see the next census updates because the big one was in 2020, right before the, everything. So the next one will probably tell a very interesting story. Interesting. So, so talk to me, like you went from having access to, you know, lots of applications, right? The mobile applications where you had this SDK to a subset of mobile apps that had the SDK. Talk to me a little bit about that shift and that transition. It was a very interesting experience. So not in the market, you know, I remember at the beginning, people were laughing at us with our idea of, you know, providing an SDK to a publisher because publisher had on average 10 SDKs. And SDK is, you know, it's a black box inside an app where honestly, the app owner doesn't know exactly what happens there. You know, some of them handles ads, some of them handles notifications, some of them handles different things. Ours was exclusively built to monetize the app, to tell the publisher, install our SDK, implement the consent framework, consent from the users when it grants lo you know, location access. From there, we'll start collecting data and we will pay you for that. Bas basically, our mission was to support publishing and keeping apps and content free because ads were, well, back in the days, were rising, but you know, we know today they're, they're in decline. So publisher, of course, you know, the, the, end, the end user needs to understand that when he downloads an app and it's free, it means that somebody he, is paying for somebody's it. Somebody's using it. Yeah, exactly. So it needs ads or, or data these days for the most part. And of course, there is always a subscription model. So we launched the SDK at the beginning of 2015. And by 2018, we had hundreds of applications that were operating with us and over 80 different publishers, app developers. Then in 2018, we started investing and releasing all our new principles around privacy. And so like we demanded the publisher not just to follow the Google and Apple rules about how to communicate on the app page, but we really asked publisher to implement a framework where we wanted our name on the app, telling exactly what you were going to do. Yeah. The location that is collected is shared with Cubic for targeting, measurement, analytics, and research. User can withdraw the consent anytime. With some publisher, they also implemented a toggle on the settings of the app immediately to, to remove our ability to collect. So we tried to build a proper framework where the consent was freely given with a double opt-in, like with a proper direct communication. This, of course, in, implied changes on the user experience. So many developers didn't want to do this. Many developers were scared that now it was too explicit that they were monetizing, they were scared. So as a consequence of all this process, we, you know, we started with nearly 200 apps and we ended up with 50. And then over time, then the number shrunk again. But the largest players that have been always marrying our idea about doing things right are, are, have been still there. And even if today our reach is much smaller than what we got up until 2019, also because of the changes implemented by Google and Apple in providing users the ability to choose about their location data, it's super high quality, it's fully consented, and we're very proud of what we've built. Yeah, it's amazing because I think a lot of times companies don't necessarily believe that consumers understand what they're consenting to. As a result, I think, you know, it's easy to make it complicated that, okay, just check this. But from your perspective, you've gone above and beyond to make sure that people who have this SDK, their consumers 
understand truly what they're opting into. Is that a fair statement? So we tried to implement the right thing. It's a fair statement. Then the reality is, as, as a consumer, we don't care. And think about it. We, we simply don't care. Like, if we feel something is creepy, we love to complain. And that's right. But it is when we're downloading something, a utility, a web app, or anything, we have a need in that moment. So probably we click through the, the intro very quickly. We go very quickly. We don't read. Like, right, right. When was the last time you read the TNC of, of Apple when you buy a thousand dollar device? You don't do that. Yes, you're supposed to do that. You're getting informed. Now, of course, our information is three, three sentences, it's not, you know, seven pages. But people don't get it because, you know, we're, a super famous company, probably they can reconcile our name with what's going on, but they don't do it. So like they consented and I cannot guarantee that I know it, but I can tell you that it was only us and another company in the entire space that were putting our name and our brand. Yeah. And taking responsibility and accountability. Absolutely. And that had played a tough role for us because of course, every time there was an article, we were called in because we were very trusted. And we list all our partners. We try to do the right thing. And, you know, it's business. It's tough because it's business. But, you know, every time we faced uh, that situation where we were called in just because we were the only. Yeah. You kind of got the backlash a little bit. I've seen all our team really proud of going through that tough moment because we were doing the right thing. You know, doing the right thing sometimes is making tough decisions. and. uh, not always you get rewarded, but at least you can look back and be proud of what you've done. Let me ask you this. Have you seen different levels of awareness and education of consumers who understand this consent by geography? So in this case, we may have just to simply compare the GDP, the Europe under GDPR to the US. I'm originally European, I'm Italian, and I just spent a month visiting our office in Italy. And I have to say that the user experience under the GPR framework is simply horrible. Really? Yes, because at the end of the day, everybody made this huge mess about cookie collection and transaction. Right. Safety. But every time you enter a website, because you have to quickly book a train ticket or a flight. Right. You always get it. I was just in Italy. I got so many. Yeah. You have all, I these, totally pop-ups. Understand. You have yeah. all these pop-ups. And again, the thing is, the user in that moment, I, I remember I had a need to buy a train ticket. Yes. Look on Google. First thing, and I literally had five minutes before my train was leaving, and I had to go through all the approvals of everything. And I know that system. I know advertising. I'm not going to do just reject all or accept all because I know this. And the thing is, it is delaying your ability to really understand what's going on. So on paper, that's the best framework you can get because the Power to the user, but in reality, are we presenting this consent at the right time? Mm. Are we explaining sometimes to the user that maybe the father are giving away some information and the way they are treated is a trade-off to keep getting free content? Because yeah, yeah. This is important to me. You know, there was a very famous sentence that was released, which is when you don't pay for a product, you're the product. And I believe this is something that should be taught in school to everyone. In the moment you're okay with that. You mentally ready for that, then we can have a completely different discussion. So, Europe fully regulated. I don't want even to comment whether the, after the ads experience, the ads I was getting were relevant to me or not. That's a different thing, but so regulated, but very bad user experience. In the US, we're starting to see companies that are trying to do the right thing, like 
does. Like at, at least I try to put my name out there, explain you what they do. But the thing is the average user doesn't necessarily get it. And of course, it's easy to understand it, to, to fear that data could cause harm. It's very limited in a world where everybody's posting in real time, everything on social networks. They're already communicating to the entire world everything about themselves. So I, I still see a gap. Something in between will be good, but I think nobody has uh, really cracked this this kind of problem yet. Yeah. And I think that there's a whole generation that's grown up with this, you know, click, I get something free, or I don't really care. I'm not sure. I think that as you look at different demographics, for people who did not necessarily grow up as a digital native, there might be a little bit more scrutiny. At the end of the day, they still might click. I talk to younger people and like, ah, eh, we know they're tracking all of us. Who cares? They're gonna, you know, they're gonna get it anyway, some one way or another. And I, I find that really interesting that it doesn't bother them. I believe that at some point it could, I mean, I hope there that one day we could have uh, this whole a new deal on data, which let me use data and I'll use it to give you real. Really better content, not 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 clickbait, but like better content. Or I'll give you back something. I think about a cash back on data, but this means that data companies and users needs to be able to make a deal directly. So I love to make a deal with the consumer, but I need to go through Google, Apple, they are published this and that. And at the end of the day, I'm the one collecting data and managing it and creating value out of it. The user is the one providing it. Between there are three, four companies that are taking slices. Yeah, yeah, slice yeah. of the pie. Yeah, so exactly. That, so I don't know if we can ever be able to change this entire ecosystem, but who knows? You know, technology has been shifting very quickly over the past few years. So For sure. Ten years from now, that will be the norm. So I want to talk about you know your data privacy framework. If you could just let's talk through each of the key bullet points. I want to make sure that. We understand the diligence that you put forth in terms of making sure that consumers are protected, data is anonymized. So let's start with, you know, number one, I think we've already talked about consent and making sure that people are fully aware, or you put as much information out there that if a consumer actually pays attention, they'll see your name, you're not hiding behind another name. And exactly what data is being collected is that true? As number one part of that? Yeah, that's that. I will say that the journey, the journey of data within our company goes from collection to processing to activation. That is where basically it ends in a different form in our clients. So yes, collection is about where you're collecting data, what kind of control you have in place, and what's your ethics about this collection. So as we said before, back in the days it was funny, but it was the World, World West. Very, very, very honest. These days, on top of, of the tremendous improvements on the privacy side brought by both Google and Apple, and the challenges posed on the industry as well, we have implemented our own consent framework. We, we keep track record of every consent. We, we give the ability to withdraw the consent. We have an app for users that want to handle their own privacy rights, and that's one piece of it. To my knowledge, it's us and another company doing this. There's no one else because it's inconvenient. It's more cost. It's not going to make you more money, and so it's counterintuitive sometimes, but we know that at that point, when we move to the second step, the processing, what you have in there, it's safe And it, from, from that perspective. But the thing is, when you end the location data, you need to be aware that location data, even if it's coming 
now with the name of the user that is providing you information or the email or the phone number, it could still carry some weaknesses in revealing who the user is. Because here the game is, it needs to be as anonymous as possible. Now getting to full anonymity, it's going to be very challenging as many researchers have shown, but you can, you as a company can implement procedures to at least try to get to the anonymity as a North Star. So when you end the location data, there are, I will say, four core weaknesses that you need to resolve. One is the fact that when you collect location data from a mobile phone, most of the time you're collecting by leveraging what is an identifier produced by the operating systems, which is called mobile advertising ID, which is a universal ID on the phone that is the key to deliver ads, trade ads on the phone. But the thing is, because of this reason, this is it is very easy to connect a mobile advertising ID with an email address or person of a phone number if you work with the right company, you know, company that have all the information about you. Think about Experian, Transunion, and, and Equifax, all, all this all the data about you. If you can match those information with them easily, you can figure out that this code here is Francesco, right? What we do there is we remove the mobile advertising ID and we put in there what we call the cubic ID, which is an internal ID that rotates every year such that if it, if it ends up in the wrong hands, nobody knows what to do with it. Second thing, which is very important is location data. If we think about the example of the breadcrumbs, the wrong breadcrumb, which is left nearby a sensitive place, think about a place of worship, an abortion clinic that today is a big thing, uh, a government building, they can suggest sensitive information about the owner that the owner probably doesn't want to disclose, or they can cause harm to the owner. So like we have implemented with a patent for this in our differential privacy technologies, where whenever we collect an information that we deem to be in proximity to one of these sensitive places, it gets purged from our system, it gets removed such that we're not disclosing all the breadcrumbs of the user journey, but only those that should not cause any harm to the user. So we would like to keep information about where you go to do grocery shopping or where gym you use, but we don't want to disclose your information. That's a very generic thing. If you visit a dentist or if you visit a general hospital, that's fine. We're not disclosing anything. The third element is the fact that through location data, you could re-identify the owner if you know the exact home address. Because if you're a homeowner in the US, it's a public information. So we have, in our patent, we have the ability to obfuscate the exact home location of a user by essentially bringing all the people that live in a block group to the same tribe of the block group so that you will not know exactly what is my physical address. You know that I'm part of this block group in Miami, like all the other 500 people that are block group, and we're all treated equally in the system. So we're not disclosing potential personal information about the, the, the user, but we still retain value for our customers because being part of a blog group, it brings in a certain information about income level, ethnicity, race, education level, and all these sort of things. The last bit is that when you're collecting location data, you also have to be very aware that today's smartphones, so it's not what, like we, when we were young, you know, I got my first smartphone, I was probably 15, 16, and I was already in the, the new era. Today, kids get smartphones, so you need to be responsible in the way you use it. So we have deployed system internally that tries to understand where the, the physical behavior of, of, a, of an ID reconcile with the expected behavior of a kid, like just going to school in the morning and 
very maybe few spot places in the afternoon. If we see a behavior like this, we just remove all the data about the user from our system just because there is no commercial value in bringing key data to any retailers. And it's ethically wrong. We, yeah, we do our best. I, I wish we had more things to put children online. But yeah, so those are the four weaknesses. So ability to, to match the data collected from, from the location source to uh, personal information, sensitive information disclosed by where you go, your home location, and behaviors that could be associated with the, with the kids that should be treated. And all of this for us is part of the processing. So every time we receive data with our patented technology, with our differential privacy technology, we can cleanse the assets such that when we start doing real work, when we start exposing, it, is, it has been sanitized a little bit. Of course, we do our best. And, and today we're the only one with a patent that implemented this technology since 2019. And the last bit is activation. So when you think about activation in the data space, you can move essentially, generally speaking, people are always move into direction. Either I'll give you analytics or aggregated data that by design are privacy safe. But if I give you this, you as a client, you cannot really customize it and make it yours. You have to take something that probably is the same to every other customer requesting it. You know, if you want to know the market shares of QSRs in the Miami area, every QSR can buy that from us and everybody will have the same information. It's not personal, it's not customized. We believe that data, you need to be able to deliver a customized experience for your customers. So either you give them the, the aggregated analysis or you give them the data behind. But the moment you expose data behind, you get into a tricky place because even though we sanitize data, even though we have sent, you'll never know how data could be used. So we came up with a different approach back in the days that today brings the name of Spectus, which is a business unit that offers a platform as a service approach, where instead of giving them data so that they can build their own models and customize it, we give access to our own platform with not only our core data, but even all the building blocks that we build around to facilitate the building data applications. But we also provide you know, computing power and all the basic, you know, best of breed open source tools that data scientists will normally use to build applications such that essentially instead of giving you the raw ingredients to cook, you come to our kitchen for the ingredients, the tools, the chef, and we help you building something that is truly privacy safe. And before leaving the platform, we also do another check of vetting to make sure that everything is in line. And our customers that really embrace this kind of approach, even given the rise and the success of Data Clean Room, today are seeing the benefits of the ability of customizing and personalizing their analytics, but without really having any harm on the privacy side, because everything is handled in one single place with the data that has been sanitized. Yeah, I love that. So let me ask you this. When you talk about you give them the building blocks to build their use case. Give us an idea of what does that look like? You a client experience in, in your platform. So when you want to build a data product leveraging location, right? The first thing you do is you have to source the location data. Normally you find them in raw format. Let's go back to the concept of those breadcrumbs, right? Normally you, you buy the breadcrumbs. When I say that I'm providing you the building blocks, it means that maybe what you want to do at the end of the day is you want to study where to build the next mall 
what you want to do is you, you need location data to understand and look at current malls around that area that you're looking at to understand whether the area where you want to build the mall is already served or not. Foot traffic, yep. Right? So foot traffic, yeah, how far people are driving to get to that place, how close it is to workplaces, to home location, all these sort of things. You know, back in the days, you were able to do this by hiring someone that was physically going there and counting people manually or asking. Now with data, you can get a glance on this everywhere in the US with, with a query. So the thing is, instead of giving to our clients just the raw data so they have to build all the traffic patterns, they have to build the concept of what is a visit to the store, what is the visit of, of traffic, food traffic. You have the tools They can there. immediately buy yeah. visits to the place. Got so it. They can even buy an application built on our platform that is already doing that for them. Also, you get an application done, you peel a layer and you can see the code behind on our platform so that if you don't like the code, you can adjust it. You can peel a layer and see what the, what are the data assets used. And if you don't like it, you can tweak the data assets so that they meet requirements. You don't like the data assets, which is what we call the building blocks. You can peel the data and you can use the raw data as well. So we give you the entire stack and we give you the ability to choose how, how deep you want to be in your customization activation. And what happens all the time is that clients come to us requesting the raw ingredients underneath. We give them access to the platform where they see the raw ingredients and all the things that I showed you before. And after a little bit, they end up using just the top layer because yeah, it's yeah, yeah. hard. Yeah. Guys, handling location data is still handling big data. It's, it's expensive. It's tedious. It requires data engineers, architects, data scientists, product people. Yeah. So what we try to do is we try to take care of the boring things about looking at data, which are handling privacy, handling cleansing, handling all the building blocks so that our customer can just focus on building great products themselves and selling them to market. Amazing. I, I love your story. I love how you've evolved and really put privacy in the center of every step of your process. And thank you so much, Francesco, for taking the time to join me today. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you for listening to the Data Gurus podcast brought to you by Infinity Squared. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.